All right, welcome to the HodgePodge Podcast. I'm your host as always, Dylan Hodge, but you guys already know that. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at I am Mr. Dylan Hodge. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at the HodgePodge Podcast. If you're listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit the bell so you can know when you get free videos Whenever I upload them. Also, if you're listening on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, hit that five star review and write a little review for me. That would help me out so very much. I know I say that every week. I'm going to keep saying it until I get enough to where I don't have to say it anymore. So please go do that and you'll hear me um, stop talking about it. So, just a few things here before we get into the podcast podcast today. There are a couple of episodes that I am going to be putting up here in the next few days. Maybe this Wednesday, maybe, not a definite yes, but maybe Wednesday there will be a new What is the Best Album from an Artist. Um, When it does go up, it is going to be Brad Paisley. I've been working on this one because I'm doing it a little bit differently than than I did and do the other ones. So this one actually took a lot more research and I actually did like a, kind of like a biography of Brad Paisley on the albums. And so that's going to be um, going up as well. Also, I am going to be doing a, since Quentin Tarantino has been on all over these podcasts, and I'm definitely not big enough for him to come on my show, I'm going to be ranking every Quentin Tarantino movie from 10 to 1, or from 9 to 1, because Kill Bill is, we're going to use Kill Bill as a one one whole movie um, because he considers them more movies because he filmed them consecutively and just, and just, you know, ended them differently and, and, and made two movies out of it. So we're going to be doing that and there's going to be some different type of podcasts coming up. I'm going to try, I'm testing the market. I want to see what you guys love best. And so if I can put that episode out, let's say if I put the Quentin Tarantino episode out next week, which I'm not quite sure. Because I want to rewatch, I've seen every Quentin Tarantino movie, but I want to rewatch everyone just, just to give a fair ball game. Because let's say if the last one I watched was the Django, that one were probably better than the other. This, just something. Um, I don't want to do that, so I'm gonna re I'm rewatching them all. So don't hate me on that. So, I'm going to be, let's just say if I put that up next week and you guys like it, then we're going to do some more stuff like that. But if you guys don't like it, then that just tells me that, hey, we need to cut this off here. Don't do any more. Um, but I have to plan it if you guys like it. So, I'm in the middle of planning something else right now just in case you guys do like it. If you don't, that's totally fine. I don't really care. We can stick with the interview formatted episodes and Wednesdays do little bonus episode type things. And we'll keep that going. Today's guest is someone that, you know, I was not very familiar with until he kind of came on the show and I was doing some um, some research on the guy. One of my friends had re, um, reposted his Instagram and his, his post that he did on Instagram and they reposted and put it on theirs. And... You know, of course, it was tagged uh, the guy, and so I clicked on it. 
And he said, Jeff Cohen has done this and this and this. And I was like, wow, that's very interesting. And so I went more into his backstory and I found he had a really good, really good story to tell. And so I DM'd him on Instagram and he agreed to do it. And this is what we got. So today, Jeff Cohen is chatting about writing postcards from Paris from the band Perry and the Paw Patrol theme song. You're also going to hear how Jackson Brown's album, Hold Out, saved his life during summer camp. He's also chatting and telling the sad story about working with Jeff Buckley and the night he got the news of Jeff Buckley's death. Because you guys remember, Jeff Buckley did the Hallelujah, did that one album, and then drowned in his swimming pool in the backyard. We're also chatting about the importance of ABR, which stands for Always Be Recording. Michael Jackson recorded a lot of bad that way. Just the producer was always recording because you never know what's going to come out when you're not recording. You're also going to listen in as he tells why his public his publishing company changed names the last minute. That's kind of a cool a cool twist there. Also, hanging out with Jackson Brown, James Taylor, and all these sorts of people. You can hear all that and more right here, right now, on the HodgePodge podcast. Also, thanks to Amazon for making uh, themselves a sponsor on the podcast. If you guys could. If you guys like the microphone that I'm uh, that I'm using and liking the camcorder that you're watching me on on YouTube, then there are links below for the Amazon. Go over there and get that. Save yourself some money. You'll also make me a little money, but no, you never have to do that. And I just appreciate you guys being here and listening in as much as possible. And without further ado, let's go over right now to my boy, good dude, Jeff Cohen. Jeff, how you doing, man? I'm doing okay. Do, do I need to do headphones and a mic, or is this good enough? Hey, I can hear you just fine. If you can hear me, we're all good. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. Good stuff. Where are you located? I am uh, in Mississippi, man. Oh, what part? Uh, I'm in a small town called Wiggins. It's in between Hattiesburg and Biloxi, so it's way yeah, out yeah. there. <laughs> I know, right. yeah. I've got I have a bunch of friends from Clinton and from Hattiesburg. Okay, cool. Yeah, man. Um, thanks for doing Absolutely. this, Jeff. I, I really, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, how'd you find me on there? You know, man, I was. What was I doing? I was maybe I was on Instagram and I had seen somebody share your post or it was something along those lines, and I was like, hey, um let's check this guy out because they were like, this guy's music is great. Yada, yada. And so I had listened and I was like, you know, this guy's actually, and then I would looking at your credits of what you've done. And I said, wow, this guy fits my podcast bill perfectly. So just let's see where, where it goes from a, Hey, you want to do the podcast? And here we are now. Awesome. Good stuff. Awesome. Well, yeah, it works out well. I just finished up one session. I've got to go. So this, we're producing another album, so I've got to go over there in about an hour or so. So 
This worked out fine. I got a good little pocket right now. I just had a t-shirt on, so I wasn't sure. I just want to change my shirt. I didn't know if it was video or not. No, cool, man. It, no, you were fine if you wanted to. I had somebody do it without a shirt on one time. It wasn't awkward for me. It was just, hey, if that's what you're comfortable in, go ahead. I don't think it's the most professional. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to drive the man too, too nuts, man. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm 50, man. That's okay. If I was maybe 20 back in the day. <laughs> so your days are pretty hectic today, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty wild. We're doing a, We've got two artists in town, and I'm finishing up my record this week. And yeah, so this is a good little break right now. And then I got to jump back in probably in about an hour. Yeah, man. What's crazy for me is I was I, I'm usually always running all over the place because I do this podcast, I do another one, and then I run a production company, and I just got finished doing a movie, and so it's just kind of all over the place. But then a couple That's of great. Week, a couple of weeks ago, my family was like. Hey, your sister just tested positive for COVID. So oh, shit. I said, oh my goodness. You know, I still live at home with my parents, you know, and I'm, so I'm going everywhere and I'm like, well, well, Are they I just, okay? well, so I was the only one with the vaccine. And so my sister got it. Then her boyfriend got it. Then my mom and dad got it. And so I'm sitting and they didn't, they, they didn't get the vaccine and I'm the only one that did. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm going to have to take care of everybody Everywhere. here. Does your sister live at home too? Yeah, she's 17, 16, 17. Oh, so she's at home. Yeah. And none of them the vaccine? Man, don't even get me started. You know, I told you where I was at. It's now, but here's yeah. the good thing. I don't want to I don't want to say this as is coming off being like a jerk, but it took them to get it for them to go. I think I'm going to get it because this is 10 times worse than the flu because they were all going, it's either the flu or a sinus infection. And I'm like, well, that's not what, I don't know people that die from a sinus infection, but Hey, nope. <laughs> go around ahead. But yep. yeah, and there, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of people here who are in the same boat, man. They're just, they're just, they don't think, I mean, my friend told me that he thought he told me he knew more people who died from the vaccine than COVID. Yeah. And I'm like, mm -hmm. like prove it. <laughs> really? <laughs> And what's weird is they That's went to the, I was, they were like, um, I went to the, I took my mom to the doctor. And so I'm sitting there and I had asked questions because, you know, I'd never had, you know, me having the vaccine, I've never had anyone that's had COVID. And so I'm like, what about me? What do I do? I've been vaccinated for three or four months. And they're like, well, you can still get it. You're just not going to be as rough as they are. And you're not going to die. So, right. Exactly. And, I was lucky to just have the sniffles. I was just, it was like a normal cold. I was just stuffed up. So you, ended up getting, so you tested positive also? No, I didn't test positive. I tested negative, but they told me what? that the vaccine fought off the COVID. The, the vaccine fought off the COVID and it just wound up being just a small sinus infection. Oh, good for you, man. So I was like, I was just, I was just here and I was like, I'm sitting in the living room alone and I'm like, well, I can't go to the store. I, I can't go get some work done. I have to sit at home in my studio and just do nothing. And it was like I was able to catch up on Ted Lasso and start some a couple of Oh, Lasso is awesome, man. Yeah. Dude, I'm not a big Jason Sudeikis fan. Like, he's just not my type of guy. And then, you know, so, of course, I wasn't going to check Ted Lasso out when it first came out. 
But then everybody was like, Ted Lasso is awesome. And I'm like, yeah, but I like sports. I'm not a sports person. And they're like, just watch it. Man, I'm hooked. I'm on like um, the very end of the first season. And then they said the second season now, you have to wait a week. Like it's an episode a week instead of. Yeah, every week. Yeah. Nice. You weren't at the episode where the boss, what's her name? Um, The head lady. No, I forget her name. Whatever you aren't on the thing where her and Keely, the uh, that young hot girl, you aren't on the episode uh-uh. where they have sex in the hotel room, are you? Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh. No. Not <laughs> oh shit. Okay. No, I. <laughs> <laughs> no man, you're cool. No, I might have just blown that one for you. <laughs> it's fine. I don't. <laughs> so man, you were born in Brooklyn, New York. Yes. Oh, have we been taping already? I, th- I thought you were going to tell me. So we've been recording? Dude, I live by ABR. Always be recording. And then you just do your own editing after? There you go. That's right. Smart. <laughs> Smart, man. Smart. Just because, you know, some like I had um, Marlon Hargis from the band Exile on. And I no, was... I think you froze. Oh, but I was just talking oh, yeah. to the... I was talking to Marlon from Exile and we were sitting there and I had picked up the phone. I said, hello, Hodgepodge podcast. And he immediately goes into, well, I started Exile doing this, this, this. And I said, whoa, 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 wait, hang on a second, sir. Let's, let's, uh, let's calm down a bit. So that was kind of what always made me, let's always be recording just in case. So yeah, ABR. I do that in the studio. Whenever when someone's doing like a warm up vocal, I remember one of the, uh, the record I did on the Spin Doctors guy, Chris Barron, um, mm. and we had a duo. Mm. The cellist was warming up, and I looked over at the engineer, and I'm like, just press record on her while she's doing her warm ups. And she did this, like, and I said, keep that, put that in front of the song. So the song starts off, boom, and that was it. You know, that's that's kind of how the producer of Michael Jackson's Bad happened. Like, Michael Jackson was just in the studio, was just warming up, doing his vocal routines. And they were like, this guy's great. Let's just record it. And then that's how most of the album of Bad came about, was just him in the studio, just screwing around. And I think that's yeah, where the exactly. best content comes, because it's real. It's right in your face. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. So, so shoot away, man. What, what questions you got? You know, I don't have questions pre-written, but I just, uh, I do have a little bit of notes. So that's just kind of how it goes. Um, I just like to be real with sure, my sure. questions, just shoot right at you. So you were born, awesome, in, I, I love that. you were born in Brooklyn, New York, right? Mm-hmm. And so as a young child, you would sing inside of a tape recorder. Yeah, I mean, I was born in Brooklyn. I grew up about 35 minutes outside of New York City, 40 minutes outside of New York City. I didn't play an instrument. Um, I was actually a jock. I played sports all the time. My dad was a coach and professor and um, teacher, and it was all sports for me. I mean, you know, I didn't have a choice growing up, and um, I just would like sometimes, like you know, in between homework assignments, you know, if I had a crush on someone, I'd write like, "Oh, Patrice, I wish I was with you," you know, and I'd write lyrics out. I'd make album covers of pretend band yeah with like the times of the songs 
I just, I'd like make my friends as the players, even though they didn't play instruments and, um, did that. And then I was at camp for basketball. Probably I was like 15 or so 16 and two guys, one guy played uh bass, one guy played drums and they were entered the uh, camp talent contest. And they knew that I wrote cause I wrote for the camp newsletter and they knew that I wrote lyrics. So they asked if I wanted to write a lyric and a melody. So basically I went ahead and I told the bass player, okay, play this bass line. I was making it up. Sorry. No, you're cool. It's been, been a long day, man. Um, and uh, told the drummer where to do these fills and wrote this melody and lyric and we won the contest. Um, and I went home. I told my dad I wanted to learn how to play bass. And he goes, well, maybe teach, learn guitar. I took lessons for about four weeks, but I was playing basketball. I had a job, you know, and just taught myself when I was like in high school. Didn't really play much. Um, didn't play like my first shows till I was in college and I was teaching mm -hmm. myself, but never, never thought of it as going to be a career. I never thought I could do this as a living. Mm -hmm. I just did it for fun. And I mean, I didn't become a full-time songwriter until I was almost 34. Yeah. You know, I was like you growing up and it was, I would take my favorite bands like Aerosmith. Like I've been a fan of them since I was little. And oh, they're amazing. I would take a piece of copy paper, like printer paper. And I would write out Aerosmith and would just come up with the weird title for an album. And then on the back, I would make 12 tracks and then when they would put out a new album, I would compare my notes between what I've written and there just to see maybe by happenstance did I take one of those track albums that they were looking for and then they put it on theirs. You know, it was <clears throat> that's awesome. It was crazy, you know, because cool. what what six year old does that besides me and you, big nerds? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I loved it. I mean, you know, the iron like to me. You know, it was either sports or music for me. You know what I mean? It's like that, that was it. And I just, I loved, I grew up listening to the Beatles and Jackson Brown and the Eagles and James Taylor. And, you know, that evolved into the Rolling Stones and Matt Morrison and Peter Gabriel. I just, I was all over the board, man. Crosby, Stills, and Nash, loved it. Yeah. Squeeze, so many cool bands. That, so, I see you're wearing a Jeff Bates shirt. Yeah, man, that's one of them. I had him on the podcast. I was lucky to have him on the podcast. And he's become a really good friend of mine. And so we swapped out T-shirts. I gave him a podcast. He gave me one of uh, his shirts. And so it was just something I threw on today, going to this town. And so it's, he's a really he's good a, he's, based, he's based in Nashville. Right. Yes, he's right. from, yeah, he is from like 45 minutes away from my hometown. Like he's literally right oh, up no the road. Way. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a great, <laughs> great guy. Really good guy. And I'm glad that. Super uh, talented, but just a, just a really, really classy dude. Really good guy. So at age 13, before you went to camp, your mom bought you an album, a Jackson Brown holdout. Cassette. Cassette, cassette, man. Yeah, cassette. cassette. And they took I was it to summer camp. camp. She went to the guy at the record store and she said, my son likes the Beatles and the Eagles, but he has their CD. He has their cassettes. Who, what would you get him? And he said, get him this new Jackson Brown record holdout. And that, that just changed my life. What did it do differently that the Beatles and the Eagles didn't do? Well, I love the Eagles and the Beatles. I just, Jackson Brown, I just so related to all his lyrics and his melodies. And it was just magic, man. I mean, my counselor stole the cassette from me halfway through the summer. 
<laughs> and they gave it back to me when I left. I thought it was gone. They took it away because I wouldn't stop playing it. And when I got home, okay. I worked at a flea market that my friend's uh, parents had a little shop. I mean, looking back, it was kind of really uncool, but like they gave us 20 bucks for the whole day and an egg sandwich in the morning. And, and they gave us a piece of pizza for lunch. So basically we worked from six in the morning till about seven. We worked for about 12 to 14 hour days for 20 bucks. Sounds and like we me. thought that was a lot. What? <laughs> I said, it sounds like me doing the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So basically but what I would do is back then cassettes were $4. Um, so what I would do is I'd take that 20 bucks and every week I would buy a different cassette. Mm. I mean, I remember buying like Steely Dan's greatest hits because it was a double album. So it cost me more that week. But, um, but I remember just every just getting like a new Jackson Brown until I had them all. And then James Taylor and just did all that, man. I just loved it. But um, yeah, I don't know what it is. I just related to him. Man, James Taylor. I wish I could go back to the first time I heard Sweet Baby James from James Taylor. Oh my goodness, man. I'm going to see James Taylor and Jackson Brown coming up there on tour. I'm going to go catch them in New York in a few weeks, and I might even see them in Nashville if I'm still here. But, um, yeah, I've been very, very lucky to meet meet both of them over the course of my career, and they're, they're, they're outstanding. Um, I worked with James's daughter, who's just super awesome. Um, and then Jackson Brown loved this record that I did with the guy from The Spin Doctors, and we ended up having dinner with him, and – ended up meeting up with him again and it was just probably one of the highlights of my life how is that to you as a kid loving jackson brown and then he come to you be like dude i love this album you put out what kind of mindset is that when you hear that you're you're, you're probably well, trying not to giddy out you know you're trying like oh my god he just well it's funny it's funny i mean i met him when i worked at bmi in the early 90s mm -hmm. and just introduced myself and I was very super professional and this and that. But then when I got to have dinner with him about 15 years later, um, Chris, the guy from the spin doctors was late to dinner and Jackson Brown's girlfriend was late. So it was just me and him waiting for them for about 20 minutes, half an hour. And all I could think is be cool, man. Keep it together. Mm -hmm. Keep it together. Be cool. Don't, don't just be cool, man. Just ask him questions. Let him talk. And he told me some great stories and he was super nice, man. I mean, he was such a good down to earth guy and just, just super personality, man. It's just, it was a pleasure. And then, um, I've gotten to go backstage at the Ryman when he was here. And then my favorite moment was in England. He was playing Royal Albert Hall and I knew the woman who was his radio. And I went with her We're backstage and he saw me and he's like, Jeff, How's it going? And I was like, is there a camera here, man? Is this like a punked show? It's like, and he turned to his friends and he goes, guys, this is Jeff of the Nashville Coens. <laughs> Clara looked at me and his radio person was like, that's, that's, that's fucking funny. That's crazy. So I haven't seen him in a few years, probably about six years, but man, you know, part of me wishes I had followed up and, and called him to like maybe stop by his studio. He kind of gave me an invitation, but I was just like, man, he's just so nice to me and such a cool dude. I'm like, right. I don't need to write with him. I don't need to work with him. I'm just, I'm happy. I met my hero and he was even cooler than I thought.
I want to kind of jump around a little bit and I want to play this right here because I want to know how did you get wrapped up in writing this song? Sure. <laughs> Dude, how did you get into writing that Paw Patrol? I could tell you, I could tell, I could tell you the whole story, and I tell everyone up front, I'm I'm just a small part. All the other songs that are that you'll you'll mention, mm -hmm. I freaking wrote those. This one, I owned a publishing company and I'd signed a writer named Scott Crepain, who is just mm -hmm. amazing dude, amazing talent. He wanted to get into TV film. As you know, I had done the theme song for Jack and Jill, some Lifetime. I had done some on Nickelodeon, The X's. Um, you know, I've since done SEC Network and ESPN theme songs, but I've had got over 7,500 songs on television and movies. Scott wanted to get into that. So I said, well, why don't we do this? We'll fly you to LA. We'll hook you up with some TV film people. I'll take some meetings and get us some work. So I set him up with this guy. I talked to this woman, Molly Kay, who represented this guy, Michael Schmitty Schmidt, another great dude. And I hooked the two of those guys up to write, and I was going to maybe go write with them that day. And I got an opportunity to meet with Disney and then with Universal. So I said, you guys go write. I'm going to go take some meetings and try to get us more work. So Molly told uh, Schmidt or Schmitty, had this like brief about this potential TV show. So Scott and Schmitty wrote the song and then Scott played it for me. And I was like, Oh man, this is cool. Do this, you know, maybe work on that. And we ended up getting it. We ended up getting the theme, but it was a buyout for Nickelodeon. So Nickelodeon um, took all the publishing. So myself and Molly didn't get any percentage of it. So the guys, so Molly's like, well, I'm taking 10% of the writer's share. And I'm like, I'm uncomfortable with that. And I talked to Scott and Scott's like, dude, the song wouldn't be what it was without you. And gotcha. I'm like, so I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to take the percentage, man. And he's like, no, you actually earned it. So I just said, just give me a small percentage of that one. And I tell everyone my contribution was, was, was small to that one. Those two guys were the main writers on that. But I mean, I did, you know, I helped out, but um, like the other songs, on my, you know, all the other BMI awards I've won, the Grammy, not, you know, that stuff I wrote. This one, I was just, this one was karma. This was just lucky to be, you know, I mean, I put the right together and did some editing on it and helped out a little bit and added a little bit here and there, but that was those two guys, man. I want them to get, to get lion's share of the credit on that one. You know, I could lie to you and I mean, my name's on there and, and I am a writer on it. But I think people, I think, I think it's important to give the proper people credit when they deserve it. I respect you And I think that. those guys deserve it. I think those guys, there wouldn't have been song without those two guys. Those guys really carried, carried the weight on that tune. So when Nickelodeon, so they basically just came out and outright nobody's getting a percentage but the songwriters basically is what they did and so yeah, you guys yeah, just come well, in but that's common man but that's common i mean espn well, yeah, does yeah, that yeah, to me yeah, with yeah. yeah it's just a buyout it's a buyout i mean sometimes it's work for hire where they don't even some things they don't even leave you your writer's share right i mean dude it was fifteen thousand dollars for the fucking paw patrol theme nickelodeon bought me and molly out for fifteen thousand dollars you don't want to know what that makes per year they cost me 
hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. That, that was my question. That's why I was leading up to that was like, with songwriting credits is how, because I want to know the ins and the outs of it. How does that work in payouts? Like if you're just a songwriter on it, it do, do you get on a Paw Patrol theme or on T or on a radio? Everything's different. I mean, like, like okay, on a, let's, let's, on let's take, let's, let's, let's take the Paw Patrol. We're talking about that right now. Let's talk about that. Do you get a percentage every time the show's played on TV? How, how does that work? Are you yeah. signed into a contract? Okay. Oh, no, no. Will you sign up with BMI or ASCAP? Um, okay. Schmidt, Schmidt and, and Kripain and I are all BMI. So BMI pays us quarterly and we get paid for, for TV play. Got you. So we get paid every four months X amount of money. Those two guys make, you know, a lot more than I do on it because I we gave them a much bigger percentage of the song and they, they deserve it. What's the one song? I mean, I, I mean, Molly, on the other hand, I don't know if she deserves the amount she took. She was very greedy, but that was her. What's the one song in all of your category where you receive, you don't have to say the amount, but you receive the most amount of money from? Um, let's see. <coughs> song I wrote called uh, Bitch Stole My Hummus. That makes me probably a few million a year. What? Yeah. So you can retire right now and be good for the rest of your life. Hey, hang on one sec. Hey guys, if you can get me the grapes and put some wine on the table and some cheese and you, I'm sorry. <laughs> Dude, that's cool. No, I'm no, we don't mind making millions a year off bitch call okay. my hummus. Um, <laughs> I was like, well, never heard of before, but I'm going to now. <laughs> You're like, I'm looking that song up. Who sang bitch call my hummus? Um, let's see. Um, what song oh god um i don't know if there's i mean i mean crazy for this girl is good for x amount every year that's done really well i mean from day one that song has made the most of all the songs if you start from day one mm -hmm. um there are certain songs that just consistently earn mm -hmm. but i'd say crazy for this girl maybe so I want to go back to 1990. So you're working in the publisher relate uh, the work writer publisher relations department, and you yeah. worked with yeah. acts. And I want to know what was Jeff Buckley like because you got to work with that guy. He died way too young from that drowning accident. Yeah, he did. He did. He did. I got a call the day before it was officially announced from his manager Dave Laurie, who said, "Look, you're going to hear some shit." Um, People are going to start calling you. Do not just direct every every inquiry straight to me. Do not comment. Just tell them you don't know anything. And I said, between you and me, is it looking bad? He goes, it's looking really bad. So I knew, I knew the night before what happened, before it was announced the next day. I couldn't tell anyone. Really. So that was yeah. I've got a I've got a great photo of me and him in the other room over there. Um, I could tell you how I met him. Sure. Um, there was there was a, a songwriter named. So it started. It's kind of a nice little story in that there was an artist I worked with called Lisa Loeb, who was just tremendous. I mean, tremendous. Probably, I'd say one of the two smartest people I've ever worked with, just in sheer intelligence and just 
she's just she's tremendous as i you know i can't say enough great things about her and she had that song you know you say only hear what i want to which blew up number one yep. she deserved it um she and i used to go out and see bands all the time we were you know come on i was 24 she was 22 whatever we were in the city my job was to see bands every night um she told me about this kid jesse harris who was this kind of jazz influenced singer songwriter guy and thought he was a great so i signed him up to bmi too and he told me he's like hey man what are you doing monday night i'm going to see this kid at chenay play at nine o'clock he's got every monday night at chenay you want to see him and i'm like want to grab some pizza before man let's get some food we'll get a get a glass of wine we'll go watch this guy so we watch him and it's just him and an electric guitar and he was doing, I, I mean, I remember he played like a Smith's cover. He played a Zeppelin cover. I think it was predominantly cover songs he was playing. He might have done a few originals, but he blew me away. And I went up to him after it, introduced myself like I would. Like, hey, I'm Jeff from BMI. I'm an assistant there. If you ever want to talk to us about working with us. And he's like, man, I'm just doing my own thing. It's cool. You know, I'm not interested. And I'm like, no worries. Here's my card if you ever want to talk. So about, so Jesse and I went back like every Monday night because he was so good. We were going as fans, man. And one night I'm sitting there watching his show and this girl comes up to me while he's playing with a cassette and is like, hey man, can you listen to this? And I'm like, I'm like, after the show, come on. A little respect here. The guy's playing a room of 30 people, 20 people. So after the show, like always, I was like, dude, good show, man. He goes, hold up, man. He goes, I saw what you did with that chick tonight. And I'm thinking, did I hit on his girlfriend? I don't know what I did. I'm like, Jeff, I have no idea. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, that chick tried to give you a cassette, man, but you were so focused on the music, man. You were like, yo, later. You were like, don't talk to me now. This guy's playing. I'm in the music. You were in it. And I go, Jeff, I, I come down every Monday night because you're one of the reasons I got into the music industry. This is what I love to do. I love to find young talent. I love to find, I love to work with people. You have to go with BMI or ASCAP eventually. So you know who I am. There is no rush, man. I said, I'm going to keep coming down as a friend and as a fan. And he goes, do you know George Stein? I go, yeah, he's a lawyer here in town. Good guy. He goes, I started working with him, man. Maybe three of us could get together and meet. And I said to him, if you want, I'll bring my boss, the vice president, and we could all have an official meeting. He's like, fuck that, man. Just you, me, and George. And that's how I signed him to BMI. He sounded like just a cool, chill guy that knew what he wanted. Because anybody nowadays, if a publishing company or a producer would come up to you and say, yeah, I work for yada, yada, boom, automatically, they're going to jump on it. But back in the day... Back in the day, was different was, back then, man. Back in different, the day was, was crazy because it's like the Beatles. If let's just say one day they made an album and it didn't sell, they didn't care. They're like, "Hey, we're gonna send out six more albums." Today, it's like if this album flops, you're done, you're gone, and it's it's crazy. It, it's just absolutely. This is a different time. It's just a different time. I mean. The nice thing about Jeff, and, and I'll say this, I mean, you know, you talk about the guy, the spin doctors or Lisa Loeb. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I was at both their weddings. 
You know what I mean? Like I'm their friends, they're friends for life. Someone like Carrie Diaguardi, who do you know her? She was judge of American Idol. Sounds familiar. And um probably the top probably the top female songwriter, her Diane Warren and maybe Hillary and Lindsay in the last twenty years. And um still to this day, probably, you know, most proud person I signed when I was a BMI and the hardest worker and just super talent. But like they're my real friends, you know what I mean? Like I'm still friends with them 25, 30 years later. Jeff was, Jeff was a great guy. Someone I worked with, you know, like I wasn't going out calling him to go out for drinks kind of thing. He was a lot cooler than I was. Um, and you know, but he was just it, but once you got to know him and once he actually did talk a lot, like, you know, he, he wasn't just like chill back. Like he, he, he talked. He was a good dude. He was a good dude, and it just fucking sucked what happened. Where is Lisa Loeb at now? Where she just kind of disappeared. Lisa Loeb won a Grammy. She no, she didn't. She uh, won okay. a Grammy for her children's music. That's um, right. She, she was. That's right. She does a lot of the because in in my Walmart we got a downgraded Walmart, so we still have the things where you press a button and it'll play the certain type of albums and Lisa Loeb's children's albums up there. That's right. She does a lot of children's stuff. She won a Grammy for that. And she's also, people don't know this, she was the voice of like some cartoon characters on some shows also and did very well from that. And um, she, as I said, she's super smart. She invested well and she's just a really smart businesswoman and a smart talent and a good talent. And, um, you know, she's always doing some good stuff. So she'll, she'll always find a way. She's, she's special. All right, dude, I want to talk about another song and then another, uh, we'll, we'll go from there because you don't have much time left. But uh, tell me tell me how this song came about. So the band Perry, which are Mississippi yeah. natives as well, uh, posted they were from Paris. Yeah. So did you write that with um, Kimberly? Was she a co-writer on that? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was okay. Kimberly and Kara. Cara Diaguardi and yep. Kimberly and um, Kimberly basically told Kara and I, she had this idea. She had, I guess, been on a date, like two dates, three dates with this one guy. And she said things were okay. They weren't bad. And then this other guy walked in the restaurant and she caught his eye and she was like, Oh my God. She goes, it was like, she said it was like, Getting, have, having a postcard from Paris, but now that I've seen the real thing, I want to be there. And she told us that story and she said it was like a postcard from Paris, you know, with him as opposed to the real thing. And he's like, that's the worst thing that could have happened. That guy walking in that restaurant, it just ended the other relationship. So we wrote a song about it. And it went to what, number five on the country airplane? Number five. Yeah, and it got a BMI award too, yeah. So I wonder. When yeah, Kimberly was Kimberly's a great writer. When you, I'm wondering when you sit in, you know, when you're writing with different artists, what has been the one thing, or what's what's been the one thing that was just like, I can't believe your mind came up with that. That's such a brilliant idea to write about. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I will say, like Jaron, who I worked with on Crazy for This Girl, Evan and Jaron. He came up with some cool melodies. Probably, I would say, I would say there was an artist named Titor. Now, Titor was the first artist I really helped develop. Um, 
And John Mayer took a liking to what we were doing and took us on tour and went on CNN and said it was his favorite song, the song called One and Only, that was on there. But Titor, Titor has an ear for music. And when, when Titor sits at a piano or picks up a guitar, his ear goes to places that other humans would never, not only would never think to go, shouldn't even be allowed to go. He just, he is that creative and he'll play like a lick or something. And I just, I'm like, oh my God, we're going to have fun now. I'm, mm. Here come the lyrics and the melodies, man. Keep playing that shit. That's good. He's just, he is just an off the charts musical talent. So I would say, if you go back and listen to some of the early titles, or even any, the latest title, everything, the guy is just consistently doing some musical stuff that'll blow your mind. Mm. So John Mayer took you guys out on tour. Yeah, that, yeah. That, so that, title, John, John, John Mayer, John Mayer is my favorite artist of all time. So I'm kind of, kind of like, what's this guy like? Because they say, don't meet your heroes. And so I, I've heard a little well, bit. I met, I met, I met Jackson Brown and he was That's one of the true. coolest people I ever met in my life. That's true. So what, what what's the John, John John was very nice to us. I mean, um he was very supportive. I mean, we like to think that his song uh what was it slow slow dancing, dancing in a burning, in a burning room. room. You know Go back and listen to our song Let's Go Dancing and some of that tied to our first record. John was definitely influenced by that. Um you know, he was a real supporter. He was he was very into what we were doing at the time. I'm writing that down because I'm going to go listen to that because I, I love that stuff where it's like, because Jake Owen's getting sued because Made For You was, you know, somebody wrote or something like whatever. And I love those type of things where it's just like, you can only make a sound sound like so many different things before you just come out of. Yeah. And and I think in John's case, I think he was just inspired by oh, the right. song. Yeah, I think yeah, his yeah, yeah. You know, no, I've had songs that were that were blatantly ripped off before, which I didn't appreciate. I think he was just inspired and influenced. So what do you do when one of your songs is ripped off? If, if you don't go the lawsuit way, kind of what do you do? You just let it be? Next question. Yeah, I don't want to talk <laughs> about that. I've just had some bad experiences with that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take the high road. Okay. Plead the fifth. <laughs> There's a lot of very unethical, uncool people in the music industry is all I will say. Oh, I agree. hundred percent. So I understand where you're coming from. So obviously you do a lot of interviews and you've done a lot of interviews. So I'm just curious, what's one question, you know, ahead of time that you're always going to get asked in an interview, no matter what oh, type of interview it is. Yeah. All the time. Like, what my relationship is with Julia Roberts now. And I tell everyone we're cool and there's really nothing to talk about. Right. She's great. Do a little background because I'm a little lost here. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, I mean. Did you date Julia Roberts? Nothing to say about it. Yeah, she, she, she's awesome. And you know she's great she's a beautiful girl okay because you do so that that question comes up a lot but but if you mean like a business question um just in general a lot of people ask yeah a lot of people ask um 
you know, how is the transition? Well, they're like, did you always know you wanted to be a songwriter? And the answer to that's no. I mean, when I left my, you know, I was going to go to law school after college. I took a job at Macy's and I thought I was 23. I was like, man, I, not a great singer. I'm not a great guitar player. I think I can write a song, but you can't make a living doing that. I didn't know. My dad was a teacher in Brooklyn and, mm. you know, we didn't come from a family of, of industry and, but I thought I knew what was good. So I said, I want to try to find the next U2 or the next James Taylor. And I wrote to every record label in New York and, and asked if I could be a secretary there and work in their A&R department and no one wrote me back. So I um, took a temp job in the collection accounting department marketing of uh, BMI and just worked, worked my way into the music department and got super lucky and found a lot of bands. If I hadn't gotten sick when I was 32, 33 and had to be out of work for a while, I probably might not have had the balls to quit and become a writer. I might have stayed at BMI and been senior VP right now. It's a great company. BMI was, I mean, anyone who's looking to get into the music industry, if you want to work for a company, BMI is it. I mean, they're just freaking great company. I had a great nine and a half years there. And, you know, I, I would it have been nice to have been a songwriter in my 20s and early 30s when I had all that drama going on and, if a girl didn't call me back, I can't sleep and my stomach hurts and I'd write about it. Yeah, I would have loved to have been a songwriter. I would have been really good. But I wouldn't have had all those experiences I had at BMI and I wouldn't have been able to to work with all those super talented people. So, you know, it's kind of meant for a reason, I guess. And it was, was it difficult transitioning from music executive to songwriter? Yeah, no one took me seriously. Everyone's like great, you almost died, and now you think you could be a songwriter. Call us when you're ready to come back. Mm. I mean, I had songs in the top three, top five, and people still asking me if I played an instrument. Right. Some people, you know, had the song. There's one song that was a big hit in Australia and Canada, all over the world, and my friend's like, so, dude, so you just go in there, you change a few words? I go, "Why? Wow, I wrote it myself. I must have changed a lot of words. Yeah. So... What is one question you never get asked? And you're just like, I want to get asked about this in an interview and you never do. Yeah, no one asked me about like what kind of hair products or beauty products I use. It never comes up, man. Well, man, do you use just for men a lot? No, I don't, man. I just let it go. I mean, I'm, I'm salt and pepper, man. I just let it go. I just natural, man. Natural. Sometimes I use a little Aveda shampoo you know, for men, but, um, you know, and shave my own beard. So it's fun. What question am I never asked? Hmm. That's a really, that's a really good question, man. I like that a lot. Um, oof. so I get asked a lot of the same questions. Like what's the favorite song you wrote, who your influences, yeah. who's your favorite artist you wrote, worked with. Um, I don't know. What question do I want to be asked that I'm never asked? No one's ever asked that question. That might be that might be the question. That might be the best question I was ever asked. Well, I'm honored to have that slot there. <laughs> let me know if somebody. Yeah. Uh, let me know if somebody beats me out of it. I'll come up with something else. <laughs> yeah, dude, that was good. That was good. So, man, as we wind down here, I just got a couple more questions left for you. Yeah, sure. So, in 2012, sure. you started a publishing company. Which is which was titled yeah. Silent Gate Music, and then 
2013 which I to Nashville International Nashville. Music. What was the uh, what yeah. was the reasoning behind the name changing, and what exactly? The reasons. Are you uh, yeah, no, I can tell you. Uh, originally, there was a company in Sweden called Scandinavian Songs that had agreed to to finance Silent Gate. We were going to be partners, fifty uh, fifty partners. And then one of the guys, uh, it was they, Scandinavian songs were two guys, this guy Hans Desmond, who had been president of Warren Chapel, and a guy named Sanjay. Sanjay had been president of Warner Records, and Hans was a completely upstanding great dude, and Sanjay not so much. He, uh, he did some stuff and ended up reneging on payment and stiffed me with the $75,000 I'd already paid for two advances. I had paid for an assistant, the song plugger, I was paying for the office, and Scott Crepain we were working with, Christian Bush from Sugarland, this other girl from Australia we signed, and I basically had to float the whole company that year. And I just said to them, if you don't get me my money by the end of the year, the only smart thing I did was I signed everyone to my company. And I said, once you give me the money, then it'll be our company. And they never gave me the money. Um, Hans stepped up and gave me a little bit out of his own pocket in the meantime, just to cover some costs, but like minimal. And at a certain point, I just said, you know what? Out. So I switched the name and, you know, I had agreed on Silent Gate with them. So I changed it and I saw a documentary on Philadelphia International Music, you know, Gamble and Huff, all the Philly sound from the 70s. Right. And I'm like, how does no one have Nashville International? We were a company based in Nashville that did international work. So we were all over the place. So I thought that would be a great idea. That was a really stupid idea because think about this. When you're in Europe or you're in Asia or you're in New York or L.A., if you hear the company Nashville International, what do you think? Airport. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Airport. Okay. After, in, in terms of music. I don't know. What music comes out of Nashville? Oh, country music. Okay. Everybody okay. thought we were just a country publisher. So it really kind of hurt on that because people were like, oh, well, 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 we don't do country. I'm like, well, neither does the writer I'm sending you. Mm -hmm. So um, so that, was, that might, might not have been the smartest name for a publishing company, but I don't know. It's easy to spell. It is, and you gotta keep it. But the thing is, you have to keep explaining what your product is, which is which is a good thing because it's like new people out there. You know, they're like, "Oh wait, this is not just a country music thing. This is all type of international music." Yeah, and we had one writer signed us. You know, this kid Nikhil. We got him a big six-figure record deal in in England and London, and he was super talented. And unfortunately, he's a poster boy for. You know, if you hire two friends who really aren't in the music industry, you think they know everything, your tour, your career will fall apart. Mm. And it was very unfortunate to watch that. He just, you know what, man? You look at someone like Cara Diaguardi. You look at someone like Lisa Loeb. I'll tell you, probably, I'd say the best example. Do you know the band Sugarland? Uh, absolutely. Okay. You look at Christian Bush. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Nettles, mm -hmm. Christian Bush and Jennifer, they work so damn hard. They are so focused. They are so driven. They're so talented. There's a reason why they're so successful. Mm 
Because mm -hmm. you combine talent with work ethic. And that's the lesson I learned at Nashville International. Is I was used to working with the Christian Bushes and the Caridia Guardies. I just thought people wanted it as bad as they did. Or wanted it as bad as I did. And I learned some artists whether they're just financially set to start with whether they're just lazy some some people just don't have the same work ethic man and that's going to catch up to you if you do not have the work ethic it's going to catch up to you man it's it's not just about talent it's called the music business it's not called the music fraternity party yeah man well jeff there's a lot lot lot, lot needs to get done well, Jeff, I appreciate your time on here. I know you got to go. Um, thanks for doing it. Um, you can go follow Jeff Cohen at Jeff Cohen Music on Instagram. Um, it was great having you on, and I hope you enjoyed the chat we had here. Um, it wasn't well, the best. Absolutely, man. Know, but... <laughs> well, no, dude, it's good. I mean, you know, it's, it's always a pleasure talking to people who have a real sincere love of music. And I can tell right away yep. that you're passionate about music, man. You're passionate about getting out there you wouldn't have done this podcast and started this if you weren't but i could tell like you're like i could tell you're like an encyclopedia of songs and music and bands and stuff which is which is always great to meet someone else who you know who really really is doing it for the right reasons yeah man well i appreciate that and saying right back to you i think we could sit here and bum off artists after artists and name albums <laughs> after albums so <laughs> well, look, exactly man, you, well man i wish you when you get when you get your new stuff when you get your new stuff out we'll get you back on and get you on to promote it oh thank you man yeah we're finishing a record right now it's being um produced by jeff trot you know jeff he produced all the show wrote the show crow songs produced right. show crow yes and i'm working on it with him the next few days and hopefully that'll be done soon and I think i'm gonna go back on tour and start playing again and you know once this COVID thing gets a little more friendly and definitely in the UK and start playing around the States and just, you know, just, you know, my attitude for anyone out there who's doing music is just figure out a way to keep doing this for the rest of your life. And, you know, a lot of times what you think is winning might end up being a different, a different version of it. Like what you think you might be meant to do. There's so many different aspects of the music industry. There's so many different ways to win and to just keep doing it and just figure out your strengths and work hard at it. And I think, I think there's a way to do it. You just got to figure it out. Yes. I'll let you go uh, again. Thank you for your time doing this. And I really do appreciate it. I'll let you know when it's up on the uh, podcast and all that. You got it, man. Thanks so much. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yep. Thanks. Have a good one. Yep. Bye.